This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything Tom, Richard and myself have been up to on a rainy Friday, January the 27th. That includes looking at bank earnings. FAB and Emirates MBD coming out with strong results. We've been speaking to Assad Ahmed, the Managing Director of Alvarez, and Marcel. Tom's also been having a look at the gaming world with John Linden, the CEO of Mythical Games. And I've been having a look at whether demand or supply, concerns or optimism, is what is keeping the oil price under $90 a barrel. That's with Robin Mills, the CEO of Camar Energy. All of that, plus Serena Kelly rocked up with some sort of quiz. We'll get to Serena's quiz in a second. First of all, they're very important, Tom. Joking apart, Sport in Dubai, the golf today. You've been speaking to Simon Corkill of the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. Briefly, let's hear from him now. He said, this is where we are in terms of play. We got a lot more golf in uh, yesterday afternoon. We actually thought we'd probably only get a couple of hours golf, but we probably got uh, four and a half hours golf and played right up till till dark last night so very happy the amount of golf that was played yesterday like Rory McIlroy's only got two holes to play today so to finish his, his first round so uh, no very very happy with what we managed to get considering the rain we had on uh, the night before Golf underway from 10 o'clock this morning. Gates open, however, to spectators. Hospitality open as well uh, throughout the course of today however uh, parking is very limited the advice from the organisers leave the car at home keep the car at home uh this please take public transport uh al kale metro station is literally on the property of emirates golf club so uh very easy to 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 get to the course uh, and take taxis that we park on the on the faldo course which is the adjacent course here at emirates golf club and it's obviously waterlogged so we don't we certainly don't want to be parking on there and we've closed those car parks for today hopefully they'll be open tomorrow but we, we're just assessing that for tomorrow and we'll, we'll send messaging out on that for tomorrow. But today, please take public transport. Please help us uh, and, and take public transport is, is definitely the message. Simon Corker, Executive Tournament Director here at Dubai Data Club. Right then, seven minutes past nine on a Friday morning. <laughs> we have delayed the inevitable as long as we can, <laughs> but we cannot ignore the fact that it's time for Serena Kelly's News Quiz. It's News Quiz Time! Bit of an update, Richard. You weren't here last week, so mm. I in- lose. But I introduced a new rule. So when we got millions of points, when one of you is missing, so to speak, um, the quiz is worth double. So mm. instead of one point, it's worth two. So Tom won last week, so he's currently top of the leaderboard with two wins. Brandy's one. Richard, you're nothing. Uh, so um, you need you need to do really well today. Personal comments. <laughs> Enjoy the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but um, obviously, because the whole point is, is the more points you get, you can then redeem them for prizes. So 10 points, you get whatever's in envelope number one. 20 points is worth whatever's in envelope number two and so on and so forth. But you don't know what's in the envelopes. So it's quite exciting. So you're probably an invitation to mow the lawn at the Kelly household or something like that. Don't, no, no, no. Um, right. So your buzzers for today. Something related to weather. Storm. Okay. Brandy's storm. What, what, Tom? I don't know. I haven't thought of anything yet. Something related to weather. Richard? Uh, Uh, Wellies. Wellies. Okay. Wellies, storm. Can I have a musical one? No. Yeah, no, I can. No, you can't. I'm pushing the buttons. I can do what I want. 
Okay, here we go. This is my buzzer. Okay, here we go. This is going to be it. Anytime. That's my buzzer. It's because they're going to be speedy, isn't it? It's because they were performing last night. We could have a problem here, but anyway, you can you can have the musical buzzer. Right. So, are we ready? I want one. No, you can't because how are you supposed to press it? Do you want Riders on the Storm? No, because then he's got to signal you to press his buzzer. How about you use just your vocal cords? All right. Well, he's... Stormzy. We could have some... Do you want a bit of Stormzy? Let's have a bit of Stormzy. Such in every corner. Right. Okay. Uh, Brandy, what was your buzzer again? Stormzy. Storm. No! (laughs) Okay. We're starting the quiz. Question number one. Submissions are now open for the 2024 edition of the Zyde Sustainability Prize. Worth over how much? Uh, Storm. Yes, Brandy. Million dollars. Mm, Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. Okay, I'm going to answer it. Wellies. Uh, One dirham. (laughs) No. Well, it is. In theory, it is, isn't it? (laughs) When when the question is, it's worth over... over. What? Okay, it's right. It's worth over uh, one dirham. Right. Can it's we... probably worth over a million. How much is it worth? It's worth over... Uh, Richard, do you have an answer? Five million. All right. It it was over wow, 11 wow. million dirhams. So Technically correct. Yeah. No, but... um, Okay, no, nobody's getting it because you're just... You're making stuff up now, right? Okay. Oh, so we're <laughs> making stuff up. <laughs> it was 11... That The answer on my answer sheet, I was looking for 11 million dirhams. Nobody got it right. I was going to say I'll take the closest figure, but you're all just being difficult right now, so nobody gets it. Question number two. Dubai has witnessed a 45% growth in private medical facilities over the past five years. According to the Dubai Health Authority's latest figures, the Emirate has 4,482 private medical facilities as of 2022 and more than 55,000 what? Wellies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Tom. Yeah, they're just all out there. All 55,000 of them. You got hunters, you got barbers, you got I, you got Disney themed ones. They're all there. Can I have your answer, please? Oh yes, uh, clinics, health clinics, Richard? healthcare professionals. Yes, Ooh, that is correct. Medical professionals, fifty-five thousand two hundred eight in twenty twenty-two. Question number three. According to the latest figures from Dubai Chambers, Indian companies and NRI-owned entities have generated around how many jobs in the UAE? Mm, this was my interview, wasn't it? Oh, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Honest. Honesty is not always the best policy. <laughs> it was with the, in, this Dubai Chamber yesterday. Um, it's all to do with the vision, the separate... Oh, I don't know. Right, okay, nobody's buzzed in. I was looking for one million. Question number four. <laughs> one million. Archaeologists claim to have found a 1,800-year-old complete residential city from the Roman era, but where did they uncover the find? Maliha. No, it usually is Maliha. I bet there is one there, but fair enough. I haven't found it yet. I'm looking... <laughs> Technically, I in the region, I haven't found what I'm looking for. <laughs> in the region, but not the UAE. Ooh, in the region, but not the UAE. Okay. Still no idea. What have the Romans ever done for us? Rome. They have pyramids. The aqueduct. Uh, Wellies. Yes. Egypt. 
Well done, Tom. Right, Brandy, you need to get on the board. Richard and Tom both have a point. Question number five. Name the two Emirates that shared announcements that government schools would oh, be moving to release. Um, <laughs> Brandy went, ah, I didn't hear a buzzer. I heard the wellies first before the thunder. So what does Tom have to say? Russell Coleman for Jera. Correct. Number six. Richard, I need your assistance with this one. There is a clip that you need to play. Oh. So, yes, in Burley. Stormzy. No, wait, what? Imagine Dragons. No, not that. You need to listen to the clip first. Who is this? No, I don't. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, quick. Under Serena's chat in the nine o'clock hour. Question seven. Question six. Who is this? Play the only clip that's there. I think uh, we all complement each other, be it um, the background that we train from or uh, the language, actually, uh, well, in case of an emergency, it's the safety of the, of the crew. So I think the UA astronaut. Yes. What's his name? I'm looking for a name. Na- NASA. No, is that NASA? Nayadi. <laughs> <laughs> I will accept it, Sultan Al-Niadi. Richard on two, Tom on two. This is... So that was the best answer I've ever heard, Tom. <laughs> We're going to give you that one. Oh, dear. Right, your final question. Brandy, you need to get on the board. Oh, not really. <laughs> question seven. Avatar, The Way of Water, officially grossed two billion US dollars at the global box office, becoming only the sixth film to ever achieve that milestone. Name one of... Avatar. Stormzy. Brandy? Sigourney Weaver. No, I wanted to say, can I, if I finish the question... I've not had a chance. I know. Name one of the other five of the six films to ever achieve the same milestone, grossing over, grossing two billion US dollars. Well, Richard's right, isn't it? Because Avatar tops the list. No, Avatar: The Way of Water does not. Avatar, the first film, Avatar: Way of Water, officially grossed two billion US dollars at the global box office. It is the sixth Uh, film to ever achieve the milestone. There is. What are the other? Can you name one of the other five? Yeah, Wellies. Right. Um. <laughs> Stormzy. Brandy. Uh, Top Gun Tunis. No. Looking for like something to do with. Is this inflation rights. adjusted or not? What? Is this inflation no, adjusted in US dollar PPP terms? Inflation's taken out. You just made that up. I didn't. I was doing my homework. Titanic. No. Oh, I, I was looking for either Avengers Star Wars, Avengers Endgame, Infinity War, or Star Wars Force Awakens. Oh, Who right. wins? Um, at the moment, you're both tied, so I'm both going to have to give you both a point. Box Office Mojo, highest grossing movies of all time, 2009, Avatar, Avatar. $2.9 billion. Thank you. I'm talking now. When- have you heard, by the way, that BuzzFeed is now using ChatGPT to do its quizzes? This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Let's talk banking now. So the biggest bank in the country, FAB, First Abu Dhabi Bank, reporting record profit, 13.5 billion dirhams. What happens to the share price? Falls off a cliff, down 8%. What's going on? Here's Assad Ahmed. He's the managing director of Alvarez and Marsal, the consultancy. Also, the former general manager of a bank here in the UAE. Morning, Assad. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good, thanks, mate. But I'm feeling for Hannah Al-Rostamani, who's the chief executive of FAB. Record profit for the bank, 13.5 billion dirhams, and you just sit there and watch the share price plummet. 
on the Abu Dhabi Stock Exchange. You've been in her shoes. You've run a bank uh, here in the UAE. How do you feel when that happens? So, look, uh, this has taken uh, taken me a little bit by surprise as well. Um, I spent uh, about 20 minutes this morning trying to figure out if there was anything in the press that I'd missed uh, last night or today, but there was nothing there. So I can, uh, you know, there are a couple of suggested reasons. Maybe the market was expecting more. Um, maybe the quality of earnings um, was different from what the market was uh, feeling. But uh, I think in the next couple of days, we should be hearing some commentary on this. Uh, more importantly, I think it's the the overall results that are coming out are, are um, encouraging. And uh, as we suggested in the last time we met, uh, and I can see that, that uh, uh, the one of the things that's coming through is uh, the effect of the interest rate increases. Okay, so th- there's lots to unpick here. So that's FAB, decent set of numbers, record annual profit, but the share price falling. If we can look at Emirates MBD, yes. because both of those sets of numbers came out around about 9.15 yesterday, just as the business breakfast was ending. Similar numbers, 13 billion dirhams profit or thereabouts for both of them. Big jump for Emirates MBD. That share price barely moved yesterday. How were you reading the Emirates NBD numbers? And have you seen any difference between the two when you look at them? Yes. So uh, both had record numbers. Um, uh, FAB was up about uh, 7% overall. Uh, Emirates NBD, 40%. Um, And I think uh, over the next, when we'll see their filings, we will see the quality of the earnings and where where the increases are coming from. Uh, Emirates NBD had a wonderful fourth quarter. Uh, They were almost up uh, 190% or 198% quarter on quarter. Um, And so there, um, uh, the interest rate increases are coming through well, uh, and their net interest income numbers were much higher. So I think the components of the uh, revenue numbers, uh, when both file, will will, uh, have a story or some answers. We haven't heard from all the banks yet, a few of them. We've heard from the two we just mentioned. We've also heard from Dubai Islamic Bank a couple of days ago as well. Decent set of numbers, I think 25% increase in profitability. So if we take a step back, Asad, it does look like the banks here are doing well here in the UAE. Is that a fair assessment? That's an absolutely fair assessment, Uh, not just in the UAE, but I think in the region, the banks will do well, and obviously more so in uh, Saudi and in uh, UAE. Uh, and that was expected. Um, right now, this particular region is um, extremely different from what else, what is happening in the rest of the world in terms of the numbers. And we've seen some of the numbers from the West come through as well. And uh, they're accompanied by job losses. They're accompanied by declining uh, uh, capital market income. So uh, UAE banks are strong. Um, the capitalizations are in good shape. Uh, their ratios are Their ratios are very good. Um, and I think, uh, you know, this will stay on for all of this year, I expect, and probably more so into the first, second quarter of 24, uh, when the interest rates uh, hopefully start uh, uh, going downwards again. Well, well I, I share your hopes, maybe not expectations, but hopes about interest rates. Can we talk about that? I mean, typically we think of higher interest rates, generally speaking, being good for the profitability of banks. They tend to have a mm-hmm. higher margin when interest rates are a little bit, a little bit higher. So has the increase in US and by extension UAE interest rates 
has that had the predicted effect on the profitability of UAE banks? Have they had that bounce? I think that is coming through. I think the um, the fourth quarter numbers, the net interest numbers, uh, net interest income numbers, as I was said, uh, saying a few minutes earlier, they are showing uh, significant increases year on year. So uh, that is coming through. In the um, in the U.S. and in other parts of the world, the net interest income is not as strong a component as the rest of their uh, uh, because their um, Incomes are more balanced. There's some capital market incomes, there are FX incomes, there's some transactional income. Uh, but here, the overall effect is much more higher. If we look at what's going to happen to interest rates going forward, and there's two camps, aren't there? On the one yeah. hand, the Fed is talking a really tough game about we're going to keep raising interest rates, they're going to go above 5%. We've got to fight inflation. But if you look at what Wall Street is factoring into the futures markets, Wall Street doesn't believe them. They think that they're going to stop raising interest rates very soon and rates will start falling later on this year. What's your view, Asad? I wish I'd, I had a crystal ball. Uh, look, I think in both cases, it's a question of what constitutes in the minds of people a soft landing, which is what everybody sort of tries for. Um they're both the both the camps are outside and there are many people in the middle. The main thing to do is that I think the the significant jumps in interest rate that we've seen, those have finished, I suspect. And if there are increases, they will be nominal until the data starts coming through and uh, the Fed and uh, Wall Street, everybody else in between, start feeling comfortable that we have uh, inflation under control that we can start now uh, easing up. Um, the process of easing up, I mean, uh, economists and uh, have been doing this for a number of years, and uh, some get it right and some don't. Like, um, I don't think there is a, any real answer to this other than trends. Uh, we got messages coming in about this at the moment, Assad. Uh, thanks very much indeed to everyone who's written in. We have got, even though annual profit was up 7%, quarterly profit, Q4 profit, was down 26% from a year earlier. Reuters reported that, and a number of listeners have written in to remind me of that. So, for the fourth quarter, 2.5 billion dirhams net profit, down from more than 3 billion dirhams a year earlier. That may explain some of it. Assad, as ever, really appreciate your time. Thanks very much indeed. Busy time for you, so we'll let you get back to work. That's the voice of Asad Ahmed. He's the managing director of Alvarez and Marsal, the consultancy here in Dubai and former general manager of National Bank of Fajera. So he's been there, done that and bought the T-shirt. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Yeah, we're looking at supply and demand this morning with Robin Mills, who's the CEO of Camar Energy, because oil markets this week do seem to have bounced around under that $90 level, getting up at one point to 88.50. That's about as close um, as we did get to 90. But the question is, what are we thinking about more, supply or demand? Are we more worried about not having enough or are we optimistic um, about the prospects of the world ahead? Robin, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Let's kick off having a look first at that US data. We've got 2.9% growth um, coming out of the US. Uh, The growth itself has slowed, but it has come in a little bit stronger than people expected. It's a good way to start talking about the global economy and how oil markets feel about it. Well, as you say, you know, oil prices have been flattish, perhaps bouncing around a bit over the past week. Um, and really, it's demand calling the shots here. You know, the concerns are about the economy. And yet, you know, the U.S. economy has been a bit more resilient than, than people expected so far. And then, of course, the Chinese reopening, absolutely critical, uh, and the potential for a surge in Chinese demand 
um, as as the economy reopens there and people are able to catch up on on three years of missed travel. So that that's really the uh, what we're seeing dr- driving prices a bit higher than they finished uh, last year. Okay, let's break that down. First off, there is so much talk about what Chinese demand will mean for energy markets. How much does China actually consume? Well, China's a, a really critical consumer uh, here, the world's second largest oil consumer after the US, world's largest importer of, of crude oil by a, lo- by a long way. Um, so, you know, you have about 100 million barrels per day of, of, of global uh, oil demand and China is, is over 10 million of that. Where are we, though, um, in terms of concerns about Chinese cases? The sort of the daily guesstimate um, has gone a bit quiet. Has that fear disappeared from from markets, COVID holding China's recovery back? Well, look, I think as far as we can judge from the limited figures, the COVID situation in China is very serious. Uh, You know, as you would expect, as they they abandon their COVID zero policy very, very quickly. Um, So, you know, death rates are very serious. You know, hard to get any exact figures on that. But that doesn't seem to be holding holding back demand. You know, people are just... uh, trying to live their, their normal lives uh, amid this. And there doesn't seem any thought that China is going to try and go back to anything like the restrictions that it had in, in the past couple of years. So, you know, travel really surging, of course, Chinese New Year um, just passed. And, uh, and then people will be looking to travel internationally, I would think, a lot as well. How much could a global slowdown take off demand for energy? If we do see um, a US or even a global recession in the second half of this year, I mean, people don't stop moving around completely because times are tough. They just do it less. They just make less things. There are less jobs, but it's not a complete stop. What have we seen historically? Well, so, you know, if you look at forecasts for demand growth this year, again, there's still kind of an ongoing kind of rebound in, in underlying demand because of COVID, uh, the, the end of the end of COVID restrictions, right? So forecasted demand, perhaps you're looking in the range of 1.7 or 2 million barrels per day of growth. Um, if you have a severe recession, as we had in 2008, for example, or we had with the, the COVID uh, situation in 2020, you can take several million barrels a day o- off demand. But I think most people feel this this recession, if there is a global recession uh, this year, it won't be like that. It'll be relatively mild and we probably won't see a reduction in demand at all. We'll see a slowdown in demand, perhaps, but not an absolute reduction. Which brings us to the second half of this equation, which is supply. Given Russian sanctions and price caps, do we have enough? Well, and again, the market seems relatively... uh, sanguine about this. They seem to conclude that uh, so far it's okay that Russian exports are actually continuing at about the same level as before. Um, yeah, Russia is getting a lot less money because of discounts and, and the and price price cap and the effect of the European ban. And Russia is having to ship oil a lot further and so is earning less for it. Um, but the volumes are about the same. Now, what's really critical is the ban on European imports of Russian oil products, so diesel uh, in particular, which is coming on in on 5th of February. Um, that could have more of an impact because uh, there's a question of where are the refineries that are going to replace this this output uh, and how is Russia going to ship diesel to Asia and, and where's Europe going to get its diesel from? Diesel is a really critical commercial fuel for uh, trucks, ships and, and factories and so on. Um, so I think that's something that, that, that uh, the market is now starting to watch. But that hasn't had too much of an impact on, on crude oil prices yet. So we've got the OPEC meeting then on the first day of February. What will they be weighing up? Well, they'll be looking at demand, obviously. Um, that, that'll be a critical thing. And, and as we see, you know, no, no uh, uh, demand situation looks OK. You know, no, no, too, no very serious concerns about that at the moment. And, and the supply situation, again, relatively steady and that they'll want to see what is the impact of the, of the further Russian measures. But of course, on 1st of February, the ban 
on oil products won't have come into into effect yet. So I think they'll they'll take a wait and see approach. Um, probably will we'll keep production levels uh, the same as they are currently and say, well, we can, you know, no no great cause for alarm. Prices are reasonable. Um, we can take a look at this again in uh, another month or two down the line. And very quickly, before we let you go, Robin, what is your price outlook at the moment, short to medium? Well, I think I think the Russian factor will have a, an impact later in the year. Um, economy is still looking reasonably okay. I think we would expect prices to, to strengthen a bit, so we're just short of 90 now. I think we would see prices in the, the high 90s, low, two, uh, low hundreds uh, later in the year. And Robin Mills, CEO of Camar Energy, joining us this morning to talk uh, supply and demand when it comes to energy markets. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Mythical Games, publisher and developer of blockchain games, uh, have acquired D-Market, a marketplace for digital skins and non-fungible tokens, NFTs for gamers. Right, plenty of terms for a number of our listeners and viewers to dive into here. Worry not, we have the sooth here in the studio with us to guide us through it. The CEO of Mythical Games is in town. He's in studio as well. It's a warm welcome to John Linden. John, thanks so much indeed for joining us live here on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it being here. Nice to have you back here uh, in Dubai. Um, okay, first and foremost, let's do some definitions if we can, because looking at this deal, a deal that's been uh, negotiated, in fact, it's been in place for quite a while uh, now, but going public with it yes. at the moment. Um, let's talk, if we can, Mythical Games first. You're baby since 2018 um uh, this deal what does it mean for you guys and where does it put you in the marketplace yeah so for us we, we've been a you know, long time in the game industry and we, and we definitely have expertise in gaming what we're doing at mythical is really kind of bringing this new world together right a new way for you to own assets in game be able to resell them to other people it's kind of a new economy that's building within these game economies themselves and d market has you know they have a decade of experience around marketplace technologies and i think our, our secret is kind of blending gaming and marketplace and blockchain into one it's also one of our our the scary parts of the job because they're all very different principles a lot of times and they're not always always uh, um you know kind of kind of working on the same goals so i think having expertise with dmarket has been a, a tremendous win for us to to just bring in everything from anti-money laundering to mm. fraud detection to just having maximum liquidity for players so you're the content creators they're the platform to a certain degree and bringing these two together gives you wider access to the marketplace? Essentially, yeah. I think it's just bringing the expertise of kind of marketplace transactions and, and the way the way gamers think are not necessarily like a trader, right? Yeah. They're not thinking like crypto traders or like financial traders. They're gamers, right? So the idea of having a system that they can then be able to participate and transact very easily is is really one of our goals. And I think DMarket had a, just a ton of experience around, around these systems to make it a very seamless process for the consumers. In terms of consumers, what are consumers after at the moment? We know that the demand for play-and-own play gaming yep. experience is very much on the rise at the moment and in demand. Is this in sort of line with that? It is. It's exactly that. Yeah, so, so we've, been, we've been kind of an early pioneer in that space since 2018. Um, you know, we're really seeing an exciting time in gaming. You know, it's the, the last 20 years has been amazing for gaming. We've seen a lot of major, major changes from going from 100 million gamers a month to nearly 4 billion a month now that we're seeing in gaming. And now what we're seeing is, is this new concept of a digital asset is not just entertainment always. It also becomes kind of an asset. You can kind of decide as a consumer what you do with that. You know, I give it away. I sell it at a profit. I sell it at a loss. I, you know, whatever I want to do, you put that power back to the consumer. So this 
idea of sort of next generation game, if you like, and everyone, and it's an industry that is evolving at such a pace at the moment. Uh, it's hard to sort of keep up as well. But the sort of demands of next generation gamers, and we see developers all the time talking about how their latest delivery is seamless, it's integrated, etc. Yeah. I mean, is it? How does it? How does it? How does it remain seamless given the fact that things are changing so quickly? Yeah. So I, I think one, one thing we've seen uh, that's really really shifted is where we've seen a, like a couple of these shifts. So one, we saw this kind of democratization of game access. Yeah. So as I mentioned, we go from 100 million gamers to 4 billion. The second one we really saw is what we call you know, user-generated content, right? So for us, that's everything from esports to influencers on YouTube to players creating assets or brands coming into games. And what we've seen from there is we've seen kind of more content than any one studio, game studio, could produce. So now we have millions of stakeholders that are kind of trying to get into these game economies of billions of gamers. So I think what we're, what we're looking at now is how do you blend these together, right? Because most of those content or stakeholders, they make their money outside of the game economy. Mm. And our view is basically, how do we bring them inside? How do we let you own an asset and be able to sell that to somebody else? And the, the original content creator is getting a, a transaction fee every time that trades hands, right? Mm. So we're, we, that's the part we're trying to use. We are using blockchain technology. I wouldn't say we're a crypto-heavy company, but we're definitely, we definitely believe very heavily in blockchain technology to, to really make those things uh, seamless. But blockchain is still in its or infancy, and it's very difficult for the average consumer. So mm. our goal is basically, how do we blend the, a, a very easy game experience with a very easy marketplace experience that anyone can pick up and go with um mythical obviously born and bred over in the united states based in the united states d market uh, comes out of ukraine headquartered over in lisbon portugal as well so we've got all sorts of nationalities there question's got to be what are you doing in dubai as well in fact what are you doing in the region (laughs) i you know every time i come to the region i i'm 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 more and more excited i think i think the 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 growth here in both entertainment gaming is amazing and i think what's really amazing about the region in particular there's not always a deep gaming expertise yet every time i come it's growing very fast but i do think there's the 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 expertise around kind of understand the economic principles between digital transactions and digital identity, I think the the region is growing at a remarkable pace. So mm. we we definitely want to be closer and closer here. Um, you know, we've been talking to a lot of groups about do we have a presence here in, in, a, in a more official way. We just think it's such a it's going to be a region you have to have to really pay attention to mm. uh, if you want to stay stay ahead in, in gaming and entertainment. And we've seen extraordinary efforts from the likes of DMCC and other organizations yeah. here to try and create something of a hub uh, for the gaming industry for the blockchain gaming industry for the metaverse etc moving forward from with your expertise to hand as well what needs to be done? Does there need to be more regulation? Does there need to be more sort of ring fencing? Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think the industry tries to self-police it as best as it can. But I think I think in crypto in general, there there's it's it can be very difficult, right? I think the hard part, yeah, you know, everybody talks about mass adoption. Why is there not a mass adoption? Well, there, there's it's it's rough for a lot of people to just come in um, between the technology stacks and honestly, there's scams and things like that out there, right? With any type of programmatic money. So I think regulation is is something that's probably welcome by most most uh, of the companies. Um, and I think clarification is even more welcome in terms of the global economies. Everywhere is a little bit different right now. So, yeah, I think I think we welcome some of that. And I think uh, hopefully the, the, the you know, bigger companies are you know, self-regulating yeah. a lot anyway. Yeah, hopefully more and more come. Yep. Uh, well, why wouldn't you with the beautiful weather here on a daily basis? <laughs> you hey? welcome me with the Seattle weather today. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, there's nothing we can't do, you know. We just press the button and it happens. That's for sure. John, listen, bless you. Thanks for popping into the studio to speak to us as well. All the best with the ongoing relationship with D-Market. And no doubt see you back here in Dubai sometime soon. Thank you. Big thanks to John Linden, CEO of Mythical Games. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com.
or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.